Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the Social Index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Tony Wells. He's the Chief Brand Officer at USAA. He leads marketing, corporate communications, military affairs, corporate responsibility, and diversity and inclusion. And on the show today, we're going to talk a good bit about basketball and his time at the Naval Academy as he was getting his education and uh, before going into the Marines and his transition into corporate life. We also talk about diversity and inclusion and why it makes sense to be inside marketing of all places in the organization. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tony Wells. Tony, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alan. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. Yeah, I can't, I can't wait to get into the meat of the marketing conversation. But before we go there, I cannot resist to ask you some basketball questions. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell me what it was like. I think I got my stats right and years correct, but you'll correct me, I'm sure, if I got it wrong. But you have to tell me what it was like to go to the NCAA basketball tournament and play with fellow team members on the... Naval Academy team, including David Robinson. What was that like? Well, you know, that's uh, almost 35 years ago and about 40 pounds ago. But um, no, it was really a once in a lifetime experience. Obviously, if you're a college athlete, 
trying to make it to the NCAA finals is always a, a goal that you start at the beginning of the season. So my senior year, we went 30 and five, uh, lost to Duke, unfortunately, in the uh, Elite Eight. And uh, it's an experience that's kind of formed who I am as a, as a person, as a marketer. And uh, I think the remarkable thing is that uh, the guys that played on that team have just stayed in contact to this date uh, uh, 30-some years later. So great experience. Well, we can we can hate Duke together. So I, I grew up in North Car I grew up in North Carolina, went to both the you know NC State and UNC, and so I have a joint hatred. The only thing in common with those two schools is they both hate Duke. So. Well, you know, you know, the funny part is David Robinson's son went to Duke and, and you know played on the basketball team there. So uh, I think he's got an appreciation for Coach K. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess the the saying is if you can't beat them, join them. Is that is that what it? <laughs> I'm not sure I'm quite uh, as forgiving, but uh, I, I get your point. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Well, did you did you always plan to go to the Naval Academy? I'm just curious. That's a quite an accomplishment in and of itself. So I didn't know if it was an aspiration you always had. Yeah, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. So I was familiar with the Naval Academy. Uh, and I'd been to Annapolis as a kid. My parents had taken me to see the campus. So uh, definitely familiar. My grandfather was in the Navy and uh, not that that factored into it, but uh, I think it really, for me, came into uh, focus my senior year in high school. And I was a recruited uh, athlete for basketball and it was one of the schools that I had the opportunity to consider and attend. And when I looked at the academic situation there, just a great engineering school, the fact that it was close to home and uh, kind of the idea of service, uh, serving my country, I think it, it kind of lined up for me and it's formed, like I said, a little bit of who I am. And it's a great school, not, not your traditional college experience, but uh, one that I'm proud of nonetheless. Yeah. And to boot, you went not into the Navy, but into the Marines. And so I'm curious, like, is that a unusual track going through the Naval Academy? I just don't know. Um, kind of ignorant on it. Yeah. The, the little known fact is uh, the Marine Corps falls underneath the Department of the Navy. And uh, so when you're a, a midshipman, you can elect to pursue a you know a career in, in the Navy or the Marine Corps. Technically, you can go to any of the services if, uh, if there's certain criteria met. But about uh, 16, 20 percent of the class uh, every year goes goes Marine Corps. So for me, it, it was uh, solidified when I went on one of my summer cruises, and I just love what the Marines stood for, this idea of servant leadership and uh, just the physical nature and the prestige and uh, esprit de corps and just kind of that uh, that brotherhood that the Marine Corps is. So Yeah, no, I, I used to work with a bunch of Marines in a, another company, and they always picked on the Navy guys. That they, they always pat them on the back and said, thank you for the ride. <laughs> they are a great taxi service. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, well, cool. Well, how did how did you make the transition from Marines to business? What was that like? You know, it's one of the things that uh, at USA we focus on too is just this idea of uh, career transition. So I was very fortunate when I was in; they had started to assign officers uh, secondary MOSs, uh, military specialties, and uh, I was uh, selected to be a public affairs officer. So they actually sent me back to school to be trained for that. And uh, that was right probably a year before the first Gulf War. And so went to training for that, came back to uh, San Diego, MCRD San Diego, the recruit uh, depot there in Western Recruiting Region, and um, got thrown into to being a public affairs officer. And that served as my transition out of, uh, out of the Marine Corps. And I uh, started working at Nissan in their corporate communications department. Awesome. 
Well, and and you've tackled a number of uh, companies along the way. Uh, Nissan, if I got it right, GM, Visa, 24-Hour Fitness, ADT, Schneider Electric, and now USAA. So you've seen a number of different industries. And uh, I want to say congrats as well on the chief brand officer promotion, it looks like, at USAA more recently. Yeah, I um, I think what's uh, unique about USA is uh, just uh, the brand with a purpose. I, uh, very fortunately, I've been a USA member for 35 years. So I really uh, felt when I came here, I, I knew the brand well. I've had every product we have, mortgage, life insurance, credit cards, checking accounts. So really came to the brand with a, a, a sense of what we stood for. I uh, would say my career trans, uh, transition out of uh, the Marine Corps and to where I am today has been kind of unique in that I've uh, switched companies. So you, you raffled off all those brands. So that either says I, I can't keep a job or I, I tend after you know five years or so to kind of want to stretch and do something new and different. But I uh, feel really blessed. I would say I'm a generalist. I, I've touched a lot of different parts of the marketing and brand function. I've been on the agency side. I've been on the client side, B2B, B2C. And uh, I think they've really allowed me to kind of bring uh, a broad perspective to the role, different business models, different uh, company cultures, different ways of approaching the market. Uh, so um, it's been a really amazing ride. And uh, I am one of those folks that feels so fortunate that I found something that I love personally, like between you and me. I can't believe they pay me to to do this because I I just love I love I love branding I love marketing I love this idea of engaging with uh, with consumers or members and so uh, like I said feeling very blessed. Yeah, no, I mean I was really impressed. I don't look down on the the, the various experiences and the type of companies that you've stopped at along the way. I was impressed just with frankly the breadth and I, it does bring a lot of experience to the table for for any company to have somebody that you've touched two tier markets, if you will, like in dealer networks and, um, you know, dealing with how you get to market, how you get your marketing to market in the automotive industry to retail with 24 hour fitness and financial services on the back end with Visa, now on the front end, if you will, with USAA. And there's the B2B component in the mix as well. So that I look at that as a big value add because there's probably not too much that you don't have some sort of analog for, or, you know, some sort of metaphor that you might've seen in the past as you approach new challenges. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's uh, in my current role. So we have marketing, we got an unbelievable CMO in Maida Rivera, got corporate communications and Lindsay O'Neill who runs that, military affairs, Admiral Byrd and Mike Kelly, and then Harriet Dominique who runs our CR and our DNI efforts now, and uh, and then Tammy Brown with Shared Services. So I got to give a, a shout out to my team. They just do an unbelievable job. And um, what I feel really fortunate is that I I think I can speak and understand their language, and that's a big part. I think what we have to do as brand experts, marketing experts, corporate communications, whatever your you know CR uh, corporate uh, responsibility is, translate what you do to the business, to the folks that pay the bills that drive uh, drive members, translate what you do and uh, talk about how you can storytell. And um, we have an unbelievable uh, brand with purpose, but we, we have to be great storytellers. And I, I think uh, we're doing a great job, but I also think that's the role as a, as a marketer or brand expert is to, to help make that translation uh, successful. Yeah. 
with this recent change from to chief brand officer, what changed about the role? Like, did it take on a broader scope at that point? I mean, it's curious. Here's what I would say: we brought some things in, and we we moved some things out. So we moved strategy and corporate development out, and what we moved in was uh, diversity and inclusion. So across the functions, I really think we've got all the major activities that our company does, our association does, to talk to employees to talk to members and prospects, and then talk to the communities in which we operate and serve. And so, you know, at the end of the day, like I'll keep my, my one theme is this idea of storytelling with unbelievable insights. All of those functions help tell our story to the stakeholders that uh, we need to serve. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, I want to, I'll circle back to the DNI because that definitely piqued my interest, but we'll come back to that in a few minutes. Why don't we tell listeners a little bit? I've always known USAA served military personnel and their families. It's all always been about members, but I didn't realize as I was doing some research that it was actually founded by officers. Like they had a real need, uh, which makes sense, right? That you would, that would be the trigger for, for creating an organization like USAA. But can you tell me and, and listeners just a little bit more about the brand and the purpose and mission that you guys are on? Yeah. So we've been around almost a hundred years. So we were formed in 1922 by 25 army officers in San Antonio, who quite honestly, Uh, couldn't get insured by anybody else. And so they formed their own association. It was originally the United States Army Automobile Association. We've since made it United Services. But the idea was like, like people who have a need, wanted to depend on each other and spread risk. And uh, that's how we began. And so coming up on our 100 year anniversary, we have had a number of different changes along the way. We opened it up to uh, staff NCOs and NCOs, and then we opened it up. To, uh, probably the biggest expansion was in 09 when we opened it up to veterans that had served prior. But it's a very unique mission. When we look at our kind of addressable market, it's about 60 million people in the U.S. So in some respects, Alan, we're uh, we're kind of a niche player. I think, though, as I've gone through my career, one of the challenges that often happens in the marketing and the branding space is you want to talk to everybody and you say, everybody's my my consumer. And what I think we've done is been able to really narrow this down to folks that have served or their family members. And uh, so we have to get really, really focused in order to kind of be competitive in the the categories that we play. Yeah. I've always seen USAA. I mean, throughout my career as a marketer, I mean, it's always been held up, frankly, as one of the most loyal places, consumer loyalty, customer satisfaction off the charts. So you guys are doing something right by focusing on your members. Yeah. We measure NPS, we measure overall satisfaction, we measure channel satisfaction. So it's a little bit of a religion. I I will tell you that I've been at a number of different brands. I've seen NPS from Bain. I've seen JD Power. There's lots of different folks that are out measuring satisfaction. I would say for us, it's a a little bit of a religion and um, it's reported up at the board level. And I will tell you down to our employees that there's something unique about our culture and that old Drucker saying uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And it's really apparent at USA. It's probably been the only company that I would say, I would bet a paycheck that 99% of our employees, if they were walking, if they were in the office, they're, they're not now, but if they were, and you said, hey, what's the mission that they would they would get it right? And that's this idea of financial security for the military uh, community. And that's, you know, that's the focus of our brand. That's our mission, what we get up every day. And, you know, the other thing, Alan, I would say that's very unique, 
at a lot of companies, you know, when you're doing your monthly business review or your quarterly business review, and you you may have five minutes on the agenda around MPS customer satisfaction, and you kind of hit it and uh, you, you run, but there's so much that lies underneath there around what's in that score and how you make it actionable. And um, that's just a big focus for USA that if you do right by the member, all the, the financials and the other areas of the business that you're tracking and want to be successful just naturally happen. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Well, you guys have been making news about doing right by your members recently. I think USA is giving a total of over a billion dollars in dividends back to auto insurance policyholders during the pandemic that we're going through right now. And you've announced another $30 million in donations to a number of U.S. military societies and organizations. I mean, those are some big numbers. What are you hoping that these actions, and I guess in totality, are, are going to do or achieve? Well, we are a member-driven association, a member-driven company. We have traditionally given dividends back to our members. So we think 44, the last 45 years, we've done that. But I think what happened here is it was very evident from uh, how the pandemic was affecting our members and their driving experience that we knew right away that there were savings. It was evident. We saw it in our, you know, our key uh, performance indicators. And so for us, knowing that our members were in need, that this is a very unique time, the idea of putting money back in their pocket so that they could meet their household obligations was just was critical. So I'm so proud of the team, our uh, our prior CMO, Wes Laird. I can remember the second, third week of March, like we got out of the gate pretty quickly. And uh, we did a, we were the first in the insurance category to air a spot that was unique to COVID, talking about how we were responding. And uh, we've kind of never looked back. And again, it's that idea of taking care of your, your employees that deliver the experience taking care of your members and then helping the communities in which we operate. And that's kind of where the $30 million donation to military societies and organizations that support the military uh, resulted. Yeah. Well, you know, we're all going through this pandemic on a global level. And how are you adjusting your marketing given what's going on in the world? It can't be easy. Here's what I would say. One of the things that we wanted to do at the onset is to ensure that we were relevant and the message that we were putting out was going to resonate. And obviously, there were categories where there's no amount of marketing or branding or communications would have been able to turn the tide of, of how consumers were viewing that category. But for us, we just decided that we were going to focus on things that mattered in this moment. There are folks that were panicking, that the pandemic, the uncertainty of around it, around it, the unemployment, and, and just how could we be of assistance? How could we help? How we could be true to our mission? And so we also arranged a number of different business support elements. Some of those were around delaying your payment or spreading it out over 12 months. And so across all our product lines, we, we brought what we thought were appropriate activities. And then we wanted to inform and talk about that. So that's been kind of a big uh, focus of our, our activities. I will also tell you, though, that we went to look at what activities weren't going to be relevant anymore, what activities weren't going to be hitting our members or prospects in a way that would uh, be of significance. We also looked to optimize and take things out of the mix that we thought weren't necessarily adding value. And so it was a, it was a, a pretty uh, Herculean effort, a lot of long hours to, to get to the right uh, answers and continued optimization. But I think the whole team across all of our marketing and 
comms, military affairs, corporate responsibility, they all just did an amazing job getting to, to an output that we could really be proud of. Awesome. Have you guys figured out how to crack the nut on um, remote production or like getting around, you know, creative production during this time? I've talked to a number of folks and it, it's a challenge. Some people are figuring it out in small ways or, or little ways. I'm curious if you've had that experience yet. Yeah, we're working through it. I will tell you that first uh, spot we put out when COVID first broke was all our employees, kind of user-generated content. And uh, man, you know, sometimes uh, that old saying, don't let a crisis uh, go to waste. I think we learned a lot about what we're capable of doing. It was all hands on deck, our agency partners and publicists and others. But I think right now we're just putting the safety of our employees, of our agency partners, of production partners, safety is paramount. And so we're working through that. And as opportunities to that may open up in specific locations to get back to filming, we're, we're going to certainly look at it. I would say right now we're using a lot of user-generated content that we can put together that still conveys that message of caring and understanding that we're here to serve the military community. But uh, we're not pushing the envelope there because we just we just think safety is, uh, is paramount at this point. Makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. I want to circle back, like I said earlier before, about the inclusion of diversity and inclusion in your responsibilities. That's highly unusual from the marketers that I've talked to, and maybe it shouldn't be. So I want to, I want to ask for your thoughts on that. How did that come about and, and why do you think it works to be in the chief brand officer or chief marketing officer area? Yeah, we looked at it. I think 70%, 75% of the time it's in HR. Uh, sometimes it's in the general counsel or legal and like less than 10% might it be in the marketing or brand organization. And so I think we were looking to uh, kind of bring a you know, fresh perspective. We partner heavily with our, our HR business partner and uh, our head of uh, HR, Pat Teague. So it's not lost that this is separate and distinct from HR, but we're transitioning it over because we really think there is a way to carry our brand message and focus across, like I said, all those communities. For employees, we do so much to support internal communication and conveying what's going on with the business and making our employees or helping them be brand advocates by understanding where we're going from a business perspective. There's the fact that we touch members with all of our communication and we want to make sure diversity plays forward there and then in our communities in terms of uh, supporting organizations and this idea of education, job creation, and financial empowerment. All of those have separate and distinct diversity goals. And we were one of the departments that played the heaviest across all of them. And so to some degree, moving it to brand allows us to hit all three of those key stakeholder groups with unique things. The talent and acquisition team in HR, they're still responsible for driving the programmatic elements of. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70 percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. 
Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Attracting, retaining, and developing folks, but we're going to help support and put some emphasis around that. And I would say probably the thing that I'm most proud of is that we've made it a strategic imperative. So as we build out our next three-year strategy, uh, diversity is going to be one of the six key pillars that we're going to answer to and and drive uh, results on. So it's an exciting time. I will tell you, though, Alan, it's not that we're the only ones that have done this. In fact, uh, Antonio Lucio, I was supposed to talk to him uh, next week. Uh, He recently announced he's, he's leaving Facebook. But when he was at Visa for a while, HR, in fact, the whole HR function was in was in marketing. So um, it's been done before and we'll see. I, I'm super excited. I know our team is and um, we've got a lot of work to do given everything that's kind of happened uh, in today's world. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense um, as you describe it, that it would fit in marketing because of, to your point, like all the various stakeholders that you're communicating with or driving the communications for. If you're going to be inclusive both in terms of making sure our communications, marketing, advertising, whatever it is, looks and represents all people. There's no really better function than marketing for that to exist. And, and I would imagine the talent organization inside of HR probably help loves the added air cover that a marketing budget can, can, yeah, can help yeah. with. Well, you know, the thing is, this is not for societal good. Like that's a cherry on top of the sundae. But when you look at this, we know that we're in a war for talent with other brands in the financial services category. We know that especially Gen Z, Gen Z, Gen X, they look at what a brand stands for in terms of, is that a company that they aspire to work for? And we know that when our employees are deciding whether they're going to stay or or go at a brand, that our CEO frames it up as like, every employee should have the opportunity to live up to their full potential. And that happens with all the folks that own the business and and do business at USA, all our general managers, all of our uh, line of business leaders. But at the end of the day, being able to help communicate that, help sell sell the vision. And I also think the brand organization has a unique capability in terms of building external relationships, whether those be with folks that have expertise and points of view in the community or in the space of DNI or their organizations that help companies be successful. I just, I really think we, we kind of have the secret sauce that can help drive success for the whole, whole organization. And so, like I said, I'm, I'm just uh, super excited. And um, we're also looking at the role that corporate responsibility and DNI linking up together, how that's playing out. Cause that's a, a new innovative thing that's happening in, in corporate America too. Yeah, makes sense. It sounds like you've got a, a bit of a personal passion around this area as well. I don't, you know, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious about your own personal experience of being a diverse male in executive rooms. Like, have you felt the same pressures that we hear about? You know, and does that help you lead with regards to diversity and inclusivity? Just curious. Look, I, um, I've had my share of bad experiences and good experiences. I will also say, just being very frank and honest, who I am as a leader, who I am as a brand or a marketer is informed by my experience as a, as a, black, a black man. I'd, I'd be 
crazy to try to uncouple the two. But I, I think, again, this concept of empathy and trying to understand another is, is super important. And, I'll, and I, I'll take it off a race for a second and just bring it to sexism. You know, when the whole Me Too movement happened, I remember being with my wife having dinner one day. And I was like, Jesus, I, I don't believe all this stuff happens. And I mean, I knew, obviously knew that people were harassed and that there were cases of that, but not really in my 30 plus years of corporate America had I ever seen something like that was as despicable as some of the things that were coming out. And I was like, does this stuff really happen? And she looked at me and she's like, you're very naive or crazy. And so that is happening. My point on it is, is like, until I took the time to go get some education, to understand, to have empathy, to walk in a, another's shoes, then I had to go do the work. And it's just like on this issue of, and again, I'll take it away from race, which is in many respects, a lot more complicated, not saying it's, it's better or worse, but it's just, it's, there's a, a added complexity to it. It will not do us a lot of, we won't have a lot of benefit if a bunch of women lock themselves in the conference room and try to figure out how do we make the world fair and equitable for women in, in the workplace. Like you got to have some men in the room <laughs> and they've got to be willing to do the work. And I think that same thing happens on the race side. What I'm really excited about, and we've been doing this a lot at USA, is just having some very courageous conversations. And there's people that are for it and people that are against it. And there, you know, there's a lot of folks like, why are we bringing that to the workplace? And what I would say is, hey, when I drive to work every day, I am, the reality is I'm a black man and I'm bringing some of my own personal biases and experiences, which can be good and bad but I'm also bringing that weight into our office every day. And I think what we realized during this, uh, since the murder of George Floyd, is that a lot of employees were bringing a lot of baggage or the burden of this to work. And this whole idea of being your authentic self, like who you really are, like, I want to be who I am. I don't want to. And I would say, look, in my experience as a, as an executive, a Black executive, is I have to kind of sometimes cover up who who I am. I think over time, I've let more and more of that out. So I'm, I think I'm being true to myself. But you want everybody to be able to come to work and be who they are and within norms, just to accept that and embrace that to be a better organization. And, and again, all the research is out there around how that attracts more people to want to work for you, how diverse groups uh, produce better outcomes and shareholder value, and how at the end of the day, they're a lot more innovative. So lots of data there that, that suggests the, the business benefit. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing. And it is, it's been eye-opening for me. I mean, I'm a white man in this world and I feel like I need to do a lot more listening. And a couple of folks that I've, you know, I don't know, one of them I know, but have kind of helped open my eyes was uh, the work that Emmanuel Acho is doing with Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Phenomenal, just approach to just having conversations, frankly. It's got to start there. And then another person that I've actually been fortunate enough to meet in person, Baratunde Thurston, has written a, a number of books and has started a new podcast as well on, on the topic of diversity and inclusion. Um, so I would recommend folks check those two out if you don't have other resources to give. But to your point about executives, it really hit me in the face a couple of years ago when I heard the story. And I think it may have been Antonio that was telling this story that you mentioned earlier, Antonio Lucio. But he was talking about, it was either about him or it was Mark Pritchard talking about their experience together and 
Mark divulging that like for years, most people don't realize Mark Pritchard at P&G has Latin roots. Yeah, mm -hmm. I knew that. Yeah, and he didn't, didn't ever really acknowledge it until in recent history. And um, I think there was a, a little bit of a, I don't know if it was a friendly, I may have the story a little wrong, but if there was a friendly prodding from Antonio, you know, to, uh, hey man, you're Latin like me, let's, let's talk more openly about our diverse roots. But I know they joke about it now when they get together, and I think that's the banter I heard. But it dawns on me, you know, I never thought about it. And maybe that's the problem. So having these conversations kind of can help open our eyes and then try to figure out from there once once we're open to it, like, what do, okay, well, now what do we do? What's the real work we need to go do to make sure this isn't an issue? Yeah, and, and here, here's, here's what I would say. I absolutely love my team. All 700, I, I'm all in. And every day I get up and aspire to be a servant leader. And that is in service to everyone. And I think some of these conversations get hard for some folks who go, well, does that mean I'm not at the table anymore? Like, no, everybody's at, at the table and everybody should be able to play up to their potential, bring their authentic self. And um, part of this, again, is this idea of just like what's happened a little bit in our country is that everybody's gone to their corner and we're lacking a lot of conversations and dialogue in there. I remember seeing a, some experiment they had done at some university where they brought folks that were from different parties and they locked them in a hotel room for three or four days and took all the most compelling issues we face and said, can you work this out? And they actually got closer together by spending the time to, to do it. We have to go do the work. And that's, like I said, on all fronts, whether it's around ethnicity, whether it's around gender, sexual orientation, religion, whatever, we have to, I think, be more accepting and hear the story, sometimes the pain, sometimes the joy of what folks have experienced, because that's that's the rich texture of things like, hey, I want that in our marketing. I want that perspective in our communications. I want that in how we're viewing our corporate outreach. And um, and again, I, I think that's the community we serve. The military community is is very diverse. I will say one final thing, Alan, that I'll get off the stage on this topic is that I think there's also been a lot of focus on diversity. And I think we realize now that this idea of inclusion is much more important. You know, it's like one thing to get invited to the to the dance. But if you show up and no one ever asks you to dance, then like, OK, you really feel all that that good. So I think we're spending a lot of time on inclusion, the idea of, of belonging. And my fundamental belief is that the pie can get bigger and deeper for everybody when we when we all seek to win and live and succeed together. Yeah. Oh, well said. I'm going to transition. It's a little hard transition, but you've experienced a lot, been in a number of different organizations, very high level and marketing organizations. You, know, you talked quite a bit about USAA, but as a marketing executive and leader, or just an executive leader, frankly, any advice for marketing leaders that are listening to this, like what they should think about or how they should tips for them? Yeah, here's what I would say. I will tell you, uh, I'm going to date myself here uh, a little bit right now. When I uh, first started out, I, I moved at Nissan from corporate communications over to advertising. So I was a regional advertising manager. Great job. 27 DMAs in the Mid-Atlantic and just a couple hundred dealers just spending time with them and trying to drive success. All I wanted to do was outshout Toyota. So it was all about if I could put up 1,200 TRPs this month, I might have a good chance to beat Toyota in sales. It's totally different now. And so 
Here's what I would tell folks, uh, leaders. One, this idea around technology and just what's happening with data is the new oil. <laughs> the idea of how AI and ML just, I think there's some unbelievable things that are coming, good and bad, from, from AI. But this idea that you could write copy using AI, that you could select a image or a creative execution. I'm actually on the, the board of a company, Pattern 89, that does uh, this in the social media space. And you don't need to A-B test and take two weeks to do that now. Like You can actually determine what's going to happen uh, by just putting in the selection now and say, this one's going to be the winner. So this whole technology play, I think the idea of balancing and understanding consumer privacy and how do we deal with that, I think there's this idea of making sure your team is curious and that they've got kind of the, the skills for the future. I think other than IT, there's no corporate function that I've seen that has gone the most, undergone as much radical change as the marketing and the branding space. The things that we did five, 10 years ago are like so far in the rearview mirror that you can't even see them. So it's staying current and this idea of being curious and that's the one thing, you know, I think as a marketer, as a, a brand person, you have to be curious. You have to want to find out and then try new things and find new ways to, to connect, uh, connect with consumers. Switching gears, it's always important to get to know the person behind the microphone. And um, I feel like we've already kind of got to know you, Tony. But at the same point, I have to ask my favorite question, which is, you know, has there been an experience in your past that defines or makes up who you are today? Yeah, I, you know, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the podcast, and that's kind of probably my experience of being on a, a high-performing team. And, you know, that was uh, my college basketball team. I think what it taught me was that you play for the name on the front of the jersey and not the name on the back. And what's funny about that is I, I played all four years, probably played close into close to 100 games. And there were some games where I might play 10 minutes. There were some games where I might not get in, get in at all, or maybe even two or three minutes. And the job was to spell someone. But when you know your role and you can accept that and you know how that fits into the whole piece of the puzzle and how everyone is working toward a common effort and you put your ego aside and you do what's required, I, I think to me, that's kind of the life lesson of playing for the name on the front versus the back and this idea of being the servant leader, being in service to others so that something greater than you can can be achieved. It's, it sounds a little corny, but it's a little bit how I feel and my truth. No, I think it, I think it's pretty interesting. The selflessness, if you will, can be a huge magical unlock for a group of people too. So you know, getting them to work better together. So I, no, that's great. Curious if there's advice you'd give your younger self if you were starting this journey all over again. Yeah, wow. I would say maybe take more risk. You know, it's funny. You know, I have three kids and my oldest, he's living in Africa now uh, with his two kids over there. He's working for an ad agency and servicing clients uh, in Europe out of there. And the idea that of moving to Africa and like with two kids and his agency is based in South America and your clients in Europe, it's like, it's kind of, it's crazy. And so I, at my age or at his age, I would have never taken that type of risk. It's, and it's turned out to be a great experience for him. And he's over, you know, he's over two years uh, living in Africa and he's really enjoying it there. But I, uh, I would tell my younger self to take, take more risk because, uh, if you kind of push yourself and you find what your limits are. 
Got it. Yeah, no, that that's an interesting global story. And to do it with kids on top of everything. That's a big, I guess, big life story for him. Yeah, it's, um, it is a little bit of a, an amazing uh, story. And uh, I was very fortunate. I was planning on going over this year before COVID, but I went over last year and went to, to Ghana and saw the country a little bit. But it's just a story around taking the opportunity to think differently and uh, to push yourself. And to, when he went over there, it's, there was nobody there. So he, he was he was breaking trail on his own. So Take more risk. That's awesome. Well, a silly question, but I, I've kind of liked where it goes from time to time. I get sometimes get tips or things I need to go buy. If you think about purchases you've made, say in the last year, has there been an impactful one, say $100 or less? $100 or less. I got to tell you, I ended up getting a new uh, light ring because we. <laughs> that's like whoever was in the light ring business uh, before uh, COVID, like they just hit the jackpot. But just this idea of uh, we're on... So many, I mean, I know you probably everybody's said that you've interviewed probably in the last three or four months, but it's just this idea of like, who knew that you needed light and how it would make uh, a Zoom call more more appealing and uh, just uh, a better experience. Yeah, I know. We're all going to be influencers when the pandemic's over, <laughs> doing our videos <laughs> from home. <laughs> well, you know, I saw a report that uh, I guess Zoom this past quarter and their their earnings did better than the, all their 2019 in terms of revenue. So it's a, it's a phenomenon. Yeah, it's real. It's real. Well, two last marketing questions for you. Curious, most marketers are looking around what's going on in the world around them, wondering if there's any brands, companies, or causes that, that you're following or you think other people should be taking notice of? Yeah, look, I, I think this whole idea of uh, ESG, kind of environmental, societal, and, and, and governance is going to become even more important to brands. I, I think there's probably a lot of folks in our fields who haven't really started to think about that. I think everything that's happening out now in the, in the marketplace is suggesting that that's going to become more important. I do continue to like the things that you know, Mark Richard and the folks at P&G have done. I think they found a way to have a narrative of uh, how their brand um, can talk about things that are meaningful to consumers and uh, on the board ANA with Mark. And I just think they've they've done a, a really great job with some really, I think, creative and innovative work. Not for every brand, I would say, but uh, they're really making it work. And I think they've got the, the results that uh, prove out it's been successful. Yeah, no, that's good. Last question for you. What do you feel like is the biggest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Well, I think um, if you would ask me this question the first week of March, I would have said a very different thing. I think the pandemic is going to redefine some categories and some brands for the good and bad of it all. The digital transformation that most companies have had to undergo in the last uh, four months is just, it's like, it's full pedal to the metal. And I think in some cases, there's going to be fewer brands in fewer categories than they than we're sitting here today. And I think that, to, to me, is going to be a, a threat around how uh, brands stay relevant, especially in a new world where consumers now have considered a lot of things that they never thought they would have to kind of deal with. I think the greatest opportunity is just this idea of how technology can help accelerate and finally, I think, connect the dots to the return on investment. I think for so long, marketers have had to find ways to show value, especially to the to the CFO. And I think as technology evolves here, we're seeing more and more ways that we can connect the dots. When you look at what's happening in, for example, in connected TV, like it's it's amazing where 
we might be able to go over time in terms of personalized delivery of message to the right consumer at the right time with the right offer. And I just think that's uh, super exciting. But I think we also have to be careful that this whole discussion around data and privacy, that we don't abuse it and that we are mindful that there needs to be value on on both sides of the equation. Well said on all fronts. Well, Tony, I thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been enlightening and really appreciate your your perspective today. Thanks, Alan. I, uh, again, appreciate the time and it's been uh, a good dialogue. And I can tell you, it's just an exciting time to be a, a, a marketer, a communicator. And uh, I think our best days are ahead. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners, and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.